Hello, everyone. I'm your host, Cindy Ketzel. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Nine to Thrive HR. In this podcast, we team up with experts to bring you the best in HR, talent management, and business strategy. Today, I am joined by Max Goodberg, co-founder of Flux. Welcome, Max. Thanks so much, Cindy. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. We're so glad to have you on such a topical discussion uh, for what's going on around us to have you with us today. Should we just dive right in? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So I'm sure our listeners want to learn a little bit more about Flux. So if you can tell us just a little bit about Flux and then maybe at a high level, how does it help companies meet some of their strategic business goals with what you're doing at your company? Absolutely. So Flux is a platform for internal mobility and employee development. We've been around for a little over four years, and we work with organizations as large as hundreds of thousands of employees and as small as fast-growing startups of a couple hundred folks in order to help connect employees with opportunity at their existing employer. So the entire idea is it shouldn't be a mystery on how to gain career opportunity and progression at your company and to understand your fit relative to those business needs and connect with them at a point where you can either flex a skill you've got, gain some new ones, and for the business, understand who is in their workforce portfolio, understand how they fit to what the company needs to get done at any given point and do so in the fairest way possible where you're considering people for what they can do and what they want to be doing from a development perspective rather than who they are and what political networks they may have or where they may sit in the org. So in helping companies meet their strategic business goals, it's really all about either upskilling, reskilling, flexing the skills that you have. It's employee retention through connection with motivating work, which then symbiotically elevates performance, builds a culture of progression inside the company and elevates the talent brand for things like employee referrals for new business needs. And it helps companies balance their workforce in times of disruption, obviously, The most recent example of the pandemic comes to mind, but anytime there's a need or a potential disruption in the business or for a particular individual within that business, can you understand who's at the company, how they may fit relative to that need and give them the opportunity to raise their hand and be considered for it? That's awesome, Max. I really, I loved that. I love everything that you're saying. I think it makes so much sense for organizations to have this opportunity. One thing that kind of stuck out for me. You had mentioned upskilling, reskilling. So talk to me about how can internal mobility impact agility? So as we're upskilling, as we're reskilling, we've got internal mobility. So how does that impact agility and the ability to make changes? And is there are there examples where maybe something like that has played out? Yeah, absolutely. So I mentioned when a work need opens, the company should ideally be able to evaluate who's here inside who can do this or is close and either develop themselves or be developed through this experience in order to achieve their next state within the company. And a great example of this is that pandemic that I mentioned. So we have a customer, a very large technology company that had a a sizable recruiting force, about 400 folks or so focused on recruiting. And when COVID happened, all external recruiting was paused. 
companies didn't understand the impact that maybe had upon the business. And they wanted to make sure that they were being intelligent about how they were staffing. And so that's a, a very large number of employees whose day job kind of disappeared overnight. But at the same time, they had tremendous demand still existing within the business in other areas, things like customer success or sales or business development. And so if you can take those recruiting individuals and look at what makes them great at their work, well, they've got project management skills. Those can be applied in customer success. They have negotiating experience on things like offers that can be leveraged within business development or sales that I mentioned before. So there's an ability to take those folks who are now no longer doing their current day job, but be able to give them purpose and to be able to change their internal perception of what it is that they can do into what the business needs at that time. So in speaking about agility and making quick changes, that customer was able to shift those individuals into those work needs essentially overnight. And within a couple of weeks, have them all lending helping hands in the areas of the business that were booming, whereas before they would have been stagnant and just kind of waiting for instructions or furloughed or have left the organization. And when things go back to normal, those same individuals are able to be repurposed either back to their original roles, if that's what they like, or if they've gotten a taste for another functional area that they've been excelling in, they can make that a more permanent change and really develop their career permanently within the organization in a way that they wouldn't have traditionally been able to try before. What a great example you gave, Max. I love that about the recruiters and the ability to kind of shuffle them in a pretty quickly in an agile manner. And, and again, just, you know, we think about that and we think about, as you mentioned, they've got a skill set that's coming along with them. But I do want to specifically, since I had already brought it up, thinking about the role of upskilling and reskilling, how do you think it can be done well? Like I said, you gave a really good example. How do you think it can be done well to do these two items, upskilling, reskilling, and what would be the benefits of that? Yeah, the discovery process is absolutely crucial for this period of time. So whether that's the business discovering the employees or it's the employees discovering opportunity where they can upskill or reskill, it needs to be driven by those individuals. So this could be something like a learning course where an individual can leverage the investments made in a learning management system or maybe a third party like a LinkedIn learning or something that may be available online like Coursera to be able to self-study and either upskill or reskill based on those career paths they're able to discover about themselves. Uh, now, on the development side, you know, we always hear those words together, learning and development. That's the learning piece. The development piece is really the application of those skills or of that learning through experiences. And that's what we're trying to enable is, can you connect to work needs of the company, which are these experiences that employees can have and deploy those skills there. Now with a data set that spans across an ecosystem, so not just what's happened within the four walls of your own organization, but also understanding where things are trending in a particular vertical in an industry or for a particular role out there in the world, you can really empower your workforce to future-proof itself through either that learning or those experiences. Wonderful. And, and I know you hit on one of my favorite topics of learning and development. I love how you spliced that out a little bit. Here's the learning. Here's the development. 
So what that makes me think of next is really some of those unexpected career paths. So as folks are learning, as folks are developing, you may see some uh, a movement along some unexpected career paths. What type of impact might that have on businesses? Yeah, so a lot of businesses will have extremely diverse populations of talent within them. So say, for example, the people who are working on the manufacturing floor of a particular organization that may make mattresses or something like that. Uh, Those folks have really great skills in things like logistics or operations. And a question that companies are always trying to solve or are making commitments around are how do we get more diverse individuals into leadership positions or corporate roles? What does that career path look like between the manufacturing floor and the white collar, quote unquote, corporate jobs? And being able to empower those unexpected career paths, taking somebody who started in manufacturing, became a foreman or a leader of a particular area of the floor, move them into an operational leadership role within the company, means that now you just don't have professional managers in those seats, but you actually have individuals who have tremendous experience, know how things work, know how things don't work, and now are being empowered to bring both those experiences and those diverse cognitions and backgrounds to those work environments. You know, another example uh, could be customer success to product management. The PM position is this highly elevated strategic role where you typically need an MBA from a prestigious institution. Um, and it, it's incredibly difficult to solve that zero to one problem of becoming a product manager if you don't have that. That's just another form of bias. Product managers are used to looking for other product managers or for these folks who are anointed by these educational institutions where it may take hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of debt to graduate with that degree if you even have the ability to submit an application and be accepted in the first place. So how do you get these unexpected career paths from diverse individuals into the product management group where they're helping define solutions for your company, which are going to be better received if they're developed from uh, diverse viewpoints. Well, you should take people who already know what the customers are looking for, the challenges they're having with your existing products, the ways to get things done internally, maybe that manufacturing or production cadence of how the actual sausage is made, and move folks from that customer success group into the PM group. And that could be through an associate product manager track. Uh, It could be a, you know, quote, try before you buy type of scenario where you have a rotation of different individuals into a business analyst role in the PM group or helping run a production sprint for a period of time. But either way, you're able to source from these very diverse and skilled positions within the company, even if that career path may be more creative, and then achieve those diversity goals and really broaden the skill set of the individuals who are helping shape the future of the company. Wow. (laughs) Amazing, amazing to think about. And you know, and, I, and as you're sharing this, I'm thinking, gosh, this is such a great opportunity for organizations to move, as you use the term, you know, our skilled folks, uh, move them throughout our organization. But Max, I have to ask you this question. There's been so much talk about the great resignation and this talent shortage. How do you think then something like internal mobility will help businesses overcome these major obstacles? 
Great question. Uh, we actually have a really good article in Fast Company that just came out about this exact point. You know, I think one thing you have to do first and foremost is try and look at the data. You need to identify teams that share overlapping skills so you understand where your internal talent bench can come from. You know, in a time where uh, hard to hire talent may be exiting the organization or even not if you're just growing in those areas, how can you be more strategic with your talent acquisition? Well, the best way would be to promote from within and develop into those hard to hire positions. So your talent acquisition function can still focus on bringing new talent into the company, but ideally you're doing so either at a lower level or for a position that's easier slash less competitive to hire for. And then you're training those individuals through experiences or through learning, that learning and development that we discussed in order to become those positions that are hard to find in the external world. And so by identifying teams that share those overlapping skills, you're really enabling employee-driven growth. And so if you can set up some infrastructure for internal mobility, that could be a program that you move from prototype to at scale and you make available to more people, or just building a culture that rewards growth, holding up specific individual success stories where you've seen some of these creative career paths or where someone took a really strong initiative, did some learning, got a, a promotion or moved into one of these hard to hire roles, you start changing people's minds about what's possible inside of your company. And by allowing those people to drive their own career, you're going to connect them with this motivating work that's going to keep them driven, performing, and at the company for longer allowing you to then grow from the kind of roots of the tree up through to the leaves where before it may have been expensive and or just impossible from a talent supply standpoint to bring those people into the organization. Plus, you're taking a big risk by bringing someone in from the outside at a high level. Your internal talent may wonder, how do I get promoted? You know, If we're hiring everybody from the outside, what does my future look like here? Instead, you really need to foster that sense of uh, internal progression and a culture that's rewarding that self-driven growth. I love the phrase that you said, changing minds about what's going on in the company and how uh, that can assimilate with that mobility and overcoming some of these challenges. So I also have to ask, I feel like it'd be a big miss if we didn't talk about DEI. Um, as we know, many companies Right now, uh, DE&I are a key business initiative, and oftentimes one initiative where it can somewhat be difficult to make progress for a lot of organizations. So what do you think is important to think about with regards to DE&I and internal resourcing? Yeah, you know, it's such an important topic, and we've really focused on this at Flux since the inception of the company, putting it at the heart of the platform. And we believe really strongly, you do need to systematize DEI if you want it to be effective. You know, for the listeners out there, maybe we can just start with some quick definitions. And I'm borrowing these from a great resource, uh, Arthur Chen. You know, diversity, the D in DEI is a fact. It's the makeup and the composition of the individuals in your workforce. Inclusion is an action. So this is belief and behavior applied to give someone a seat at the table. And then equity is a choice that you make as an organization and as individuals to make sure that the people at the table all have equal voices to each other. And to do DEI well, and especially with regards to internal resourcing, 
making opportunity available for people to find is not an example of equity because you're missing that point of having everyone considered fairly and similarly, not just having access be democratized. And so you have to do two things really well in this process. You need to minimize bias or those negative effects that can creep into the process, and you need to promote unique strengths. So this can represent it a couple different ways. Within Flux, the way that we, one of the ways in which we minimize bias is masking candidate identity. You can't see the name, you can't infer a gender or a race or an ethnicity from the identity of an individual raising their hand to be considered for something. You want to even the playing field as much as possible. And then you have to do that second part. You have to promote unique strengths. So this means going beyond your typical resourcing crutches or table stakes items like skills or education source, like we talked about before, what school they went to. And instead, you need to look at things that make them a whole human individual, things like their experience background, their cognition, their approach to problem solving, um, their preferences around working styles or environments and contexts or interaction with their work, their peers, and their manager. And in this, if you can bring those unique strengths to bear, you can start presenting more diverse candidates for internal resourcing. And then you can leverage all the great investments that have been made around uh, trainings, around things like minimizing bias during the interview process and making sure that people can have a fair and consistent shot at uh, being considered for those opportunities. But the farther away, and by away, I mean upstream, you go from that decision point of who are we going to place in the role. And you move upstream into that discovery process. Think of it like a funnel process. The more bias and problems are in that beginning of that funnel and that discovery period, the smaller the diverse population is going to end up at the interview point and being able to raise their hand. So it's really important to think about these DEI topics, not just at the point of considering a candidate, but through the entire internal resourcing lifecycle. Wonderful. Thank you. And, and I really appreciate for our listeners really walking through D, E, and I and those definitions. I think it's so helpful for us to all be on the same page um, when we're having that conversation. So thanks for doing that, Max. So we've talked about DEI, we've talked about the great resignation, we've talked about career paths and upskilling and reskilling, we've talked about all of these wonderful movements. So here's my question for you. As you know, the good vast majority of our audience is HR. So how do you think, can HR be more strategic or a strategic partner as we think about company performance? Yeah, absolutely. So I think first and foremost, HR needs to recognize the importance of their role and the power that's inherently there. Um, I know I've spoken with some HR individuals who have these questions. You know, how do I get a seat at the table or how do I become more strategic? Um, the great news for them is you're already there. You are in a strategic role. In fact, it's hard to think of a more strategic role than how you're managing and empowering the workforce of the organization, which is what the organization is. So you're already there. Great news. Second, I think it's important to empower employees and functional leadership to make some of these decisions themselves. It's not the role of HR to have to be a translation layer or to do the work on behalf of those two sides of the table. Instead, 
Um, those individuals know the jobs, they know the needs, they know the context, the pains, the pleasures of doing a great job and what it takes to get there the best. And so it's really looking to those individuals, asking questions, doing internal surveys. Not only does it give you better information, but it also makes those functions and those employees feel like they're being heard and they're contributing to their company, which is incredibly important. And what that allows you to do is either build or gather a data set and then leverage that data set to make decisions that support the employee population in service of the business. So when in doubt, put the employee first, try and use data from those surveys or from what's been happening, where are applications coming from internally, where is internal mobility being enabled or blocked, what are success cases and how do we do more of that? Um, and spread it to other parts of the organization that aren't participating. But you, I think you've got to know your numbers. You've got to establish programs that support the generation of that data and then can benefit from the application of those success criteria um, to support the operations of the company. And from there, you are that strategic partner. You're operating on information, you know, hard referenceable data rather than gut feelings or um, even data from a small subset of that population. And you're really guiding and shaping the future of the organization and its success. Awesome. Well, you had me at put the employee first and know your numbers. I think those are so key as we think about uh, HR and, and being a strong partner in the organization. Well, thank you so much, Max. It was such a pleasure to have you with us today. Cindy, thank you for the opportunity to chat with you about these topics. It's been a blast and I look forward to being able to chat with you again about this or other topics soon. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Max. And thank you to the Nine to Thrive listeners. I will be back next week with a brand new episode. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast in your favorite podcast app. If you're listening on iTunes, please give us a rating. Your rating helps other professionals and talent-minded people discover our program. For Nine to Thrive HR and all of us here at HCI, we appreciate you for tuning in. Thank you so much.